Section 6 of Shen of the Sea, a book for children. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Shen of the Sea, a book for children, by Arthur Bowie Chrisman. Four generals. Prince Cheng petitioned his father, the king. My honored parent, give me permission to make a journey throughout the kingdom. I would learn how the people live, and note wherein they are contented and discontented. Thus I shall be prepared against the time when I ascend the throne. The king nodded approval. Your plan is good, my son. I shall immediately order that new gold tires be put upon the royal carriage and summon ten troops of cavalry to guard you. But the prince would not listen to such arrangements. Oh, no, sire. I mean to go alone and in disguise. Instead of the carriage, a stick will serve for my vehicle. Instead of the troops, that self-same stick will guard me. Whereat the king was greatly troubled, and the prince was put to much argument before he won his point. Then do as you wish, my only and much-beloved son, said the king grudgingly. But it behooves you to observe extreme care. Disorder is rife in all the provinces. Go and may your stick be as strong as the magic mace of Sun Hao heir. Farewell, my royal father. Farewell, my noble son. Now it must be remembered that Prince Cheng was no greybeard. In years he was nearing thirteen. Is it, after all, such a great wonder that homesickness caused his heels to drag and his eyes to knead the kerchief. He had walked all of twenty li. That, he began to imagine, was journey enough for the present. To the edge of Yupiai forest, he continued. At the edge of the forest, he stopped. The woodland was so dark, so dark. The wolves howled. <coughs> Starved. And such a futile little stick with which to enter the forest of Upi. What wolves! The prince had turned his face toward home when a merry voice hailed him. Hello, brother. I'm glad you're come. Tell me if my fiddle be in tune. A comical fellow hopped down from a stump and chinned his fiddle while Prince Chang stared. How does it sound, little brother? I dare say it, but the fiddler was not waiting for an answer. His bow arm fell to sawing while his legs and voice joined in the tune. A baker asked the king to dine. And that's a foolish song.
Prince Cheng thought he had never before heard or seen anything so funny by half. The more he laughed, the greater his need for laughter. Such a comical beggar, and how he could play and sing. From one end of Hupi Forest to the other, Prince Cheng laughed while the beggar capered and fiddled. No wolves at all appeared. Homesickness was a thing of the past, forgotten. Let me give you a copper cash, merry stranger, said Cheng, when they came to a Y of the road. Not now, said he of the fiddle and bow. I judge you are poorer than I. Indeed, laughed the prince, when I am king. He forgot himself there. I shall reward you handsomely. Ho, ho, shrieked the beggar. When you are king, when you are king, I'll accept a reward. Make me a general in your army. It shall be done, said Cheng. What is your very nice name? My pitiful name is Tang. Tang, the fiddler. Farewell, my little king, who rides a bamboo horse. So they parted, both merry. Sad to relate, Prince Cheng's merriment was to be of brief duration. A band of robbers sprang up from the roadside and surrounded him, pummeling him without mercy, all striking at one time. They took his stick and his clothing and the little bag of coins that hung from his neck. They left him in the road for dead. A sorry ending, that, to his journey. Shortly another traveler chanced by, and he was a man of warm heart. He revived Prince Cheng and took him on his shoulder, carrying him to a village. There he set out food and clothing, and bade the prince ask for what more he desired. Cheng was deeply thankful. How can I ever repay you? Yeah, yeah, pray, pishtush, said the man. It is nothing. What is a bit of food? And what is a gift of clothing? Besides... You must know that I am a tailor and will charge my next customer double. A tailor a rogue, says the proverb. I do not believe it, exclaimed Cheng. And when I become king, there he forgot himself again. Ha, 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 roared the tailor. When you become king, ha, ha, when you are king, you may reward me. You may make me a general in your army. It shall be done, declared Cheng. What is your honorable name? Wang is my miserable name. Wang, the tailor. Farewell and good luck be with you, my future king. So they parted, merrily enough each laughing at the excellent jest. Prince Cheng continued his journey. For three days he saw no man of flesh and bone, nor came upon a dwelling. 
At the end of the third day, he was weak and unsteady from hunger. His stick broke beneath his weight, and he lay beside the road, waiting for death to come. Instead of death, there came a shepherd with sheep and goats. The shepherd picked up Cheng and saw that the boy was far spent. It was quite plain that hunger had used him evilly. Promptly the quick-witted fellow slung Cheng on his shoulder and carried him off to a cave. Milk and bottles of leather hung on the cavern walls. Also there were cheeses. Chang was made to drink of the milk, a little at first, only enough to moisten his throat. With the return of strength, he drank greedily, completely emptying a goatskin. And the emptier the bottle grew, the more he thanked the shepherd. You have done me a great service, said Chang. If I had money, I... Yeah, yeah, I... Pish-tush, said the shepherd. It is nothing. I fed you with no thought of reward. Nevertheless, declared Chang, when I am made king, I... The shepherd was like to strain his throat with guffawing. Oh, when you are made king, what a merry chap you seem to be. Very well, when you are king, you may reward me. Make me a general in your army. Oh, I shall, I shall. The prince was emphatic. What is your honorable name? My paltry name? Most folk call me Meng, Meng, the shepherd. And here you must carry some food with you, for the nearest house is thirty li distant. Take this cheese, and may good luck be your companion, my king of the wandering road. Burdened as he was, Prince Chang made slow work of getting over the mountain. He had begun to think seriously of dropping the cheese, when a troop of soldiers clattered up the road behind him. How fortunate, said Cheng. Here are my father's soldiers. They will take me on their horses to the next village. But the soldiers halted with a, Who are you? And what brings you here? queried most fiercely and with scowls. The prince stammered that he was sometimes called Chun, a most unfortunate invention, for Chun was the name of a local bandit. The soldiers' frowns turned to pleased smiles. There was a reward offered, and the captain said, So, you are Chun, and you have just robbed some poor person of a new suit and a cheese. Off with his head, my braves! Cheng now saw he was indeed in a tangle. A bold face seemed the only escape. He put on a stern look, saying, How dare you execute men without a trial? Do you not know that I am Prince Cheng, son of your noble king? The captain bowed in mock humility. 
Your highness seems large for such a tender age. I happen to know that King Yen Chi's eldest son is only two years old. Let your swords drink, men! The terrible truth was made plain to Cheng. He had wandered across the border of his father's kingdom. He was in a neighboring and hostile country. The swords were lifted to strike when, swish, came an arrow. After it, quickly, another and another. Each found its mark. For each arrow, a soldier crumpled. The others dug heels in their horses, galloping pell-mell for their lives. A stalwart youth stepped out from a pine. You had better go quickly, he said to Cheng. The border of our own country lies a full mile back. I thank you with all my heart, declared Prince Cheng, and shall reward you fittingly when... When you are king, finished the other. I heard what you said to the soldiers, and wondered at your daring. Very well. Make me a general when you become king, and that will be ample reward. It shall be done, vowed the prince. What brave name do you bear? Name? Oh, you may call me Lang. Lang, the very indifferent archer. And now you must go, for more soldiers will come, and my arrows are few. Prince Cheng was not long returned from his journey when the king passed away in an illness. Immediately the crown was placed on Cheng's brow, and all the people burned much incense of Ka wood, crying, Hail! And almost with their next breath they shouted, Kao Chu, the enemy. An enemy was marching upon Ku Hisui. The king had barely seated himself upon the Haiti throne before he found it necessary to see about raising an army. There were two great troubles with the old army. It was dwarfish small, and it boasted more generals than bowmen. Of course, the generals never fought. They did nothing but plan, usually what they'd have for dinner, and which sword they'd wear to the king's next reception. Yet King Chang added more generals to the army. The first complaint raised against King Chang by his people was that he had added four more generals to the army. His new generals were named Tang, Wang, Meng, and Ling, though doubtless such information is hardly necessary. They were old friends of the king. The four arrived at the capital in time to see a huge army of hostiles encamp on the far side of the river that bordered the city. By great good fortune, the river was past fording, so holding the enemy in check. The king and his generals gazed across the river. Said he, It is easily seen that the enemy has twenty men for every one we muster. What are your plans? Of all his generals, 
only Wang seemed to have so much as the shadow of a plan. Wang said, Give me all the tailors in the city and all the cloth stored in the royal godowns. Take them, said King Cheng. If you don't, the enemy will. Throughout the night, General Wang and his tailors slaved needle and thread. The click of thimbles made a continuous humming sound. The hostiles on the farther shore heard and wondered what strange warlike engines King Cheng might be preparing. With days coming, Cheng moved all his troops. He had only a thousand. The thousand men marched in parade along the river's brim. Their uniforms were old and dowdy. The words, we are brave, that adorned their tattered jackets seemed a poor and weak boast. They were ragamuffins. They marched as if weary. The enemy jeered. But lo, the first thousand had no sooner disappeared than another thousand circled past the river, stepping smartly, smartly uniformed in cloth of gold. The words, very brave, embroidered upon their fronts. The enemy was not so quick to jeer. Following the second thousand came a thousand men in bright red uniforms. Upon their breasts were embroidered extremely brave. They stepped it briskly, shouting dares across the river. The enemy replied with little heart. Another thousand followed. Jade green uniforms clothed them. Rumble dumble de dum sang their drums, and their steps kept perfect time. Upon their breasts were the words still braver, and upon their lips great threats. The enemy said little. Now came men in crow's wing black. Upon their breasts were the words braver by far. Their taunts were hard to bear. Yet the enemy remained silent. A thousand men in pink, the same number in blue, came white-clad men and orange-clad men. Violet uniforms replaced uniforms of brown. The enemy thought it hardly fair. King Cheng evidently had a million soldiers. How could they fight against a million? The tents came down, and the enemy vanished. General Wang continued to sow until the last hostile disappeared. He and his tailors were terribly tired, but the thousand soldiers were even more tired. All day long they had marched and changed uniforms, then marched again. They had changed from red to green to black to every color in the spectrum. They were colorblind and weary, but King Cheng married much and blessed the day that had sent him General Wang, the tailor. In a month or so, King Cheng's happiness turned to gloom. 
The enemy had learned of Wang's clever trick and resolved to march again. The army of Cheng was scarcely larger than before. To come off victorious, each man would have to whip a dozen of the enemy. There was no time to increase the royal army, and the enemy lay on the other side of Ku Shui River, waiting for the waters to lower. King Cheng rode with his generals to the river, said he. There lies the enemy. The depth of the river lessens with each minute. Who has a plan? Some of the generals stroked their beards. Others twisted their mustachios. All wrinkled their brows. Not one of them parted his lips. Come, come, my doughty generals. Have you no plan? General Tang. Tang bowed his head the three times required by law and courtesy. Sire, with your permission, I have a small scheme that may serve. Chen Yao, very good. Spare no expense. Draw on the treasury for whatever you may desire. Silk, tailors, fans, or false faces. Anything except more soldiers. For soldiers we have not. Then please, your majesty, said Tang, may I ask you to sign an order on the treasury for one ounce of pine resin? Then the king thought Tang jesting. His first impulse was to strike off his head. Instead of doing so, however, he signed the order for two cents worth of resin. At night, General Tang sat upon a crag that towered above the river. He fondled his precious violin. A little breeze sprang up at his back. Tang, the general, was no more. But Tang, the musician, lived and thrilled. Bow swept strings with a magic sweetly sad. The breeze caught up the melody. The river was its sounding board. The soldiers on the farther shore turned in their blankets to listen. Then home there is no spot dearer, and the violin sang of home. More and more sad came the music. The musician wept. Across the river, ten thousand eyes grew moist. The soldiers wept and were unashamed. Why had they left their warm hearthstones to die in an alien land? Fierce resolve faded, and a longing took its stead, a longing for home and the loved ones it sheltered. Morning saw the hostile camp deserted. Soldier after soldier had stolen away in the darkness, thinking only of home. Not one remained to threaten Qiuheshui city. King Cheng assembled his generals and spoke high praise of Tang. Then he discussed the need of preparation for the future. He knew very well that the enemy would return. Have any of you, my trusty generals, a plan for humbling the enemy in his next invasion? 
General Meng, the former shepherd, voiced a plan. I would suggest that all horses be replaced by lean sheep of the mountain. General Lang, the archer, said, I would suggest that all cases at law be settled by trial with bow and arrow. So be it, said the king. I grant both requests. The enemy soon marched upon Ku Hesui in greater numbers than before. Grasshoppers in the August fields were never thicker. It was plain that only a miracle could save the city. All eyes were turned to General Meng, turned beseechingly and rather doubtfully. Could a mountain shepherd save Ku Heshwe? That night the question was answered. Meng herded his sheep in a tremendous body toward the enemy camp. At the proper moment, he raised a great din and startled the animals into flight. Through the camp of the enemy, they rushed, and instantly the camp was confusion. The soldiers had fared none too well on their march. They were hungry, and here was good food to be had for the catching. Away went the sheep. Away went the soldiers. Thoroughly frightened, the lean-limbed sheep sped their fastest. Thoroughly desirous, the hungry soldiers followed at their fastest. While the camp was empty, Meng and a score of daring men darted from tent to tent. In their hands were torches. Behind them rose a flare of ever-spreading flame. To roast their meat when they catch it, said Meng. The wind was a helpful friend, scattering brands with a will. The destruction was soon finished. What had been a white encampment became a red and rolling flame. The tents were burned, and the spears and the bows. Nothing was spared. A thoroughly discomfited enemy stole away from Ku Heshui that night. So far, General Lang had done nothing of a warlike nature, nothing at all, unless stepping upon the toes of a citizen be considered warlike. Lang had done that. Naturally, the citizen was incensed. He wished to see justice done, and went to a court of law. The judge said, Take this bow and shoot five arrows in yonder target. He who shoots best has the right on his side. The young citizen shot first, and his marksmanship was poor, to say the least. Whereupon, Lang drew the bow. Oddly enough, his aim was no better than that of the citizen. With that, the judge declared the suit undecided and set a future date for its retrial. General Lang left court well pleased. The young citizen went home to spend many hours in practice with bow and arrow. Thereafter, the courts were flooded with lawsuits. From morn till night, the bowstrings twanged. It appeared that all the men of Ku had grievances to be settled and they who were wise spent much time in archery practice ere they went to court. 
Many became quite expert with the bow and arrow. King Cheng impressed all of them into his army. At last he had a large force, a force that would give pause to any foe. Long the king waited for his enemy's return, but he waited in vain. Spies had watched the men of Ku Hiswe at practice with a bow. They sent messages that Ku Hiswe was prepared. So the country was troubled no more by alarms of hostile armies. Thus, without loss of a man, was the kingdom saved for Cheng by Wang, Tang, Meng, and Leng. A thousand years ago, all this. But very learned men still dispute as to which was the greatest, Leng, Meng, Tang, or Wang, which of the four generals? End of chapter 6 Read by Carrie Adams Your book voice at Mesa, Arizona on the 12th of November, 2021